It's a real privilege to stand here today and I've just enjoyed the songs that Anthony has chosen this morning about Jesus as Lord of creation. And then I'm with Mark, that song, It Is Well With My Soul. You know, we are so blessed to live post got Christ's resurrection. The story we're going to look at today about Jesus walking on the water, the disciples were still fairly clueless about who Jesus was. But we have the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us. We have the Word of God to teach us who he is. And so we can live in a very different way to where they were at this particular point in time. And last week, we had the story about the feeding of the 5,000 plus. You know, an amazing miracle. And at the end of that afternoon, because it was late when they were fed, Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to Bethsaida, and he was going to get rid of the crowds. And then this storm comes up, and Jesus walks on water. What's the point of this story? I'm going to tell you before I begin. The point of this story is not simply that God cares for us when we're in trouble, but that's true. The point of this story is that Jesus is God. When he walked on water, he was demonstrating, he was disclosing to the disciples that he wasn't just a prophet, a miracle worker, a teacher. Who can walk on water but God? That's what the story is really about. And I hope that today we will catch a glimpse of our risen Saviour, Jesus, who is God and who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for every one of us. That is so big, I can't take that in. But it is true. So let's come to the story. And we're in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, if you want to find it. And this story is also in Matthew and John, though Luke doesn't record this particular miracle. So in Mark 6, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. You know, they went over to that supposedly lonely place to have some time out after the 12 had been on mission. Well, they never got that rest. They never got to be refreshed because Jesus taught the huge crowd and then fed them. I think that the disciples would have been on a real high after seeing that. How do you think you would feel at the end of that day when you've got 12 basketfuls of food left over from seven loaves and two fish? Wow. But Jesus sends them away. Why doesn't he keep them with him? John's account gives us a clue. In John 6:15 it says that Jesus knew that some of the crowd intended to come and make Jesus king by force. Now that must have been a scary thing for Jesus. He had come for a different purpose. And it's fairly early in his ministry still, and here's some people who want to make him king by force. If the disciples had heard that, what's your hunch about what they would have done? Would they have been, yes, let's do it? Or like, oh no, that's not Jesus. No, I reckon they would have been there right with them. 
saying, yes, let's make Jesus king. Because who's going to be in the good places? These 12 who are travelling with him now. So Jesus, in his wisdom, says, off you go, fellas. This is no place for you to be right now. And he sends them off to Bethsaida. He then goes to pray. Okay, this is reiterated numbers of times through the Gospels, how Jesus withdraws to pray. It's a good lesson for us there. Now, I was once a geography teacher a long time ago, and I love maps, so I've got to share one with you today. If you're not sure where um, these places are that are in the story, the Sea of Galilee, which is not a sea, it's a lake, but anyway, Bethsaida is at the top. It's kind of like a teardrop, and Bethsaida's right at the top. And I suspect when it said they'd gone across the lake to find the lonely place and where the feeding happened, I'm guessing it might have been where the Yellow Cross is. Okay, so they would have gone from maybe Capernaum because that's where Jesus did lots of his ministry. So they cross over the lake and they're near Bethsaida. It wouldn't have been that hard for crowds to run. So the distance from Bethsaida to Capernaum, or if they'd come the other way, Capernaum to Bethsaida, is about 10k. So, you know, people who were pretty fit, they wouldn't have taken all that long to get there. So when it said they ran ahead, um, the fit ones could get there and they'd pick more people up as they went and probably kept adding all day. And then you can see Gennesaret is just above the red word Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret is where when the storm comes, they don't make it to Bethsaida, they go right across the other side of the lake and further south and end up at Gennesaret. Mustn't have been fun to be blown off course, I don't think. So how come the weather changes so quickly in this part of the world? Did you know that the Sea of Galilee is 212 metres below sea level? It's in a rift valley. So it's, it's, it's a weird kind of place in a way. So far below sea level, and this is probably the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights average about 1,000 metres above sea level. Okay. How much is that? Well, Mount Cutha is 300 metres above sea level, so it's quite a bit higher, plus the sea is below sea level. So there's about 1,200 metres of difference. And when the cool air comes, sort of in the north northeasterly wind, comes over those mountains, it drops down into this kind of a bowl where the sea is, the Lake of Galilee, and the warm water has warm air rising and so it all gets mixed up, becomes really turbulent. And it still happens today that this kind of changeable weather can happen and they can get gale force winds with little notice. Um, depends whether they've got a weather bureau like ours or not. <laughs> but they feel it when it gets there and the waves get whipped up by the, by the big, uh, big winds. So it was supposed to be just a short row back to Bethsaida, I think. And I guess Jesus could have walked there when he'd finished praying. But it didn't happen. Jesus is alone on the land. And in verse 47 it says, Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Have you ever been in a, a, a rowboat, a kayak or even a sailing boat and you try to go against the wind? I can remember being a kayak once on just on the broad water at Southport and trying to row, paddle against the wind. 
I was so relieved to eventually get to land again and was aching shoulders into a headwind is very hard work. But shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because all who saw him were terrified. So Jesus knew they were struggling, but I don't think he came to their rescue straight away. He cared because he noticed, but he waited. You know, it's not all that long since he was asleep in the boat that night when a storm came up again, and he said to the waves and the wind, be still. He could have done that again, got them out of their trouble. He didn't do that. He let them keep struggling for some time. Jesus has a purpose. He sees them and he comes to them walking on the water. When you read scripture, do you ever try to picture what that looks like? How that happened? I do. I just think, how bizarre. And I probably would have been with those disciples and went like, ah, what's going on here? He comes walking on the water and it says he was about to pass them by. Now, I've read this as since I was a child thinking, why was he going to ignore them? It was good when I did the Bible study this week to read some commentators who said that was the disciples' perspective. They saw him coming. They thought that he was going to keep going. That's not what Jesus was in, had in his mind. I think Jesus had to walk so that they were in a place where he would see them. Okay? So they see him, but they don't know who it is. There's a funny thing here. He was about to pass them by. The commentator suggested maybe this is an Old Testament link. Do you recall in the Old Testament a couple of times when it said that God passed by? God revealed his glory. He revealed his presence. The first one is Moses, Exodus 33. And Moses says to God, God, show me your glory or show me your glorious presence. And God says that he will, but he says, Moses, I'm going to have to put you down in between a couple of rocks. I'm going to cover you with my hand and I will pass by. And it happens, God passes by, and Moses only saw the back. He never saw God's face. Okay, Because it said that if you see the face of God, you will die. Who's the other person that God passed by? Do you know? Elijah. Elijah's hiding in a cave uh, because he has become terrified of Jezebel and her plans. After his great victory on Mount Carmel, he's demoralised and he's hiding in that cave and God says, come and stand at the front of the cave. I don't think he actually does that straight away. It said, the Lord passed by Elijah. This is 1 Kings 19. It said, God was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. Remember, he was in the gentle whisper or in the silence. The presence of God was real. He passed by. 
I think Mark, when he's writing this gospel, realises that this is a time when God is revealing himself. He passes by. Our God is one who reveals himself. That is so different about the Christian God, about Yahweh, our Lord God Almighty. He reveals himself to us. And he's wanting to do it for the disciples and reveal that he is the Son of God. You know, the disciples, when Jesus had stormed, calmed that other storm, they were amazed and they said, Who is this man who can calm the winds and the waves? They hadn't really worked it out. And since then, they've seen Legion made whole. They've seen Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They've seen the loaves and fishes multiplied to feed 5,000 plus. But they still don't know yet who Jesus is. Here is Jesus revealing his divinity. And it is face to face. They see him for who he is. And it goes on. They, they yell, ah, it's a ghost. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, if you're in the dark, you know, if you're maybe coming up to somebody's house and they go, who's that? Well, I'd say, it's Ruth. Are you likely to say, it's I? No, none of us are going to say that. But Jesus doesn't say, it's Jesus. He says, it's I. Or the New Living says, I am here. I think they recognise his voice. I am. Another Old Testament link that Matthew's making. In the Old Testament... God revealed his name as I am. And Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 says, When you pass through the water, I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. And you know, Job talks about God treading on the seas. That was an Old Testament view of God, that he was the Lord of creation. So we have some illusions going on here. Now, Mark doesn't record the little part about Peter walking on the water. I wonder why. Could be because Mark's source was Peter and Peter didn't really think it needed to be written down for us all to know about. But Matthew had no qualms. Matthew tells us that Peter says to Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. He gets out of the boat, and we all know what happens. He starts off well. Then it says he is distracted by the strong winds and the waves, and he begins to sink. I never judge Peter, because I think I can identify with him pretty well. We can get so distracted by what's going on around us. So Peter and Jesus climb into the boat. It says, then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What had they not understood? Where did they think it came from? 
Who did they think Jesus was? I don't think they'd stop to think. I reckon they were ripe for the let's make Jesus king movement rather than recognising that this was God at work in their midst. It says that they hadn't understood because their hearts were hardened. What does hardened mean? To have a hard heart is not to be open to what God is saying and revealing. It is to lack spiritual perception. It's a lack of readiness to learn. It's a small faith. That's a challenge to me. How often is God wanting to speak to me, reveal to me, encourage me, but I am too caught in other things, too hard of heart to be aware and take in what he is offering to me. The disciples did not apply what they knew about Jesus. They did not think through what they had seen him do. They're just carrying on in the same way as ever. His authority over nature is lost on them. Jesus wants them to understand that he is the son of God. He is the Lord of creation. He is not just a prophet, a teacher, a healer. Jesus never rebukes the 12. He cares about them. He sees their struggle and he does get them to safety. But they were spiritually dull. Jesus leads them to a safe place, to the green pasture, as Mark mentioned last week. God, the the shepherd, brings us to the pasture. Mark um, mentioned that, you know, my brother-in-law had died and the funeral was only Thursday, but it was supposed to be the previous Thursday, but flooding down on the Tweed Coast meant that it couldn't happen and so this is dragged on. A couple of weeks ago, I was really struggling. I had a terrible sore throat that lasted for a week with no other symptoms, just this sore throat. Ian passed away. There was another family issue. Some other family friends were were going through some pretty awful, terrible stuff. Greg's voice was not getting any better. It was nine weeks since he'd had surgery. His voice box had been damaged by being intubated and on the ventilator for some time. It's like, isn't it ever going to get better? And there were lots of other little hassly, niggly things that were going on. It was like, I can't cope. I was feeling overwhelmed. I was probably sinking like Peter was. And then I know I'm not alone. I know that Jesus is with me, but I needed people. And we asked people to come and pray for us. That was a wonderful time and I think it provided some breakthroughs. I do believe there was spiritual opposition that was happening uh, in our family and linking all those things together. And as we prayed together, it just made such a difference. And Jesus said to me in that time, offer a sacrifice of praise. It's not always easy to do that to praise when life seems overwhelming, when you keep looking at your circumstances um, rather than eyes on Jesus. So I had to go and look up the verse and read the context. 
Hebrews 13, 15 says, Let us offer through Jesus continual sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. You know what grabbed me in that verse? That I didn't have to do it in my own strength. I just had to look to Jesus. I could offer a sacrifice of praise through Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful comfort and promise that he does that for us? And he helped me to do that. And it's made such a difference. Just before that, in Hebrews 39, it says, Your strength comes from God's grace. Are you availing yourself of God's grace, of the, of the grace that comes through knowing Jesus? That's the promise that we have. So I turn my eyes to Jesus, my saviour, redeemer, healer, lord of creation, the king of kings, the lamb of God, my shepherd. What a difference it makes when we look to Jesus. Jesus.